Well, take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter will be in chapter 1 this morning. In a few moments, we'll read from verses 20 through 25. Well, Christians are concerned to confess that Christ has risen from the dead. And we believe that it really did happen. We believe that it happened in history, in real history. We believe that it happened in a body that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. We believe that there were real witnesses who saw this event and saw him raised from the dead after having found his tomb empty. There was a... um, historian who wrote a several-volume history of Rome back in the 19th century who wrote, who wrote this as an historian, the evidence for our Lord's life and death and resurrection may be and often have been shown to be satisfactory. It is good according to the common rules for distinguishing good evidence from bad. Thousands and ten thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece as carefully as every judge summing up a most important cause. I have myself done many times over, not to persuade others, but to satisfy myself. I've been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in history of mankind which has proved better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose from the dead. Well, there are evidences to explore, and maybe that's for another day. But there is one particular evidence that I would like us to explore this morning, one which is perhaps the most powerful, if not the most personally and experientially compelling. Let's read together from 1 Peter, verses 20 through 25. He, Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly and from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever." And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Well, here is a paragraph in a letter in the first century from the apostle Peter to the churches he was in communication with that is about a whole lot of things. I count a whole bunch of ideas here. You have have a chain of ideas across time where Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, and then he was made manifest, revealed to us in, in his incarnation. He was raised from the dead, and after that he was he ascended and was given glory by his Father. We have another chain of what this does in us. We have faith, we have hope, we have 
We have love. There's obedience in here. There's truth in here. And then you've got a number of, a number of images. Since you've been born again, you've got all this plant imagery, perishable seed, imperishable seed, grass, the flower of grass, grass withers, it falls, you've got death and, and all of that. There's kind of a lot to string together on this thread. Is there an idea or a, or a word that anchors it all? That's a question we're always asking and that I'm always asking whether or not I, I hold it out there as the first question in a given sermon. There's always a an agenda that the author has that makes sense of all this. I don't know if you ever read your Bible and think, what is going on? It's like scrambled eggs. There's just a lot there. There's always an agenda, something driving this. There's always a deepest embedded subject among all of the topics that, that are raised here, important as they are. And yes, there is one simple topic And one difficult topic, I mean, it comes in the form of a command in verse 22, love one another, love one another. This command has something to do with the resurrection. We'll begin with this command, and it's a command no one can keep. It's a command no one can keep. Everyone seems to agree that love is good. Love is important. Everyone seems to agree hate is bad. And all the work these days and energy seems to go into figuring out who can go in the loving bucket and who can go in the hateful bucket. If you can get your enemies in the hate bucket, you win. Everyone agrees love is, love is the right way to go. Maybe you've uh, joined us this morning, but you've been saying for years, you know, I grew up in hearing the gospel and the Bible, uh, but I've explored some other things in my life. I've explored uh, Mormonism, I've explored uh, Hinduism, I've explored this other thing uh, that my neighbor believed, and then I made some things up of my own. Maybe, maybe you've done some exploring And at the end of the day, you've concluded that all religions uh, basically are the same and they boil down to a simple simple thing, and that is the command uh, to love, And, and everyone can agree on that. Everyone seems to agree that love is a good thing. Not everyone agrees on what love is, though. There's the, the simple definition you'll hear sometimes, uh, that love is a verb, it's, it's an action, it's, it's a choice. And it, this definition of love would be like the most basic level, it's, it's volition, it's an act of the will to love another person. And we'd say that's not all wrong, but it's not all Right. It's not untrue that love involves action, but it's not wholly true. There's more to say. There's what I'm calling the sneaky definition of love, and that definition would suggest that at its, at its base, at the most basic level, love is total acceptance without qualification, or you might call it tolerance 
And um, as believers in Christ, we're, we're all for totally accepting any person as made in God's image and having dignity and worth our time and interest. And there's so much to, to say there. But when we make a definition of love, total acceptance without qualification, that is an affirmation of what anyone may believe or, or do, things go sideways. In fact, you can only survive on that for so long before you become profoundly intolerant. And maybe, maybe you've even noticed this in your own heart if you've held this definition of love out before yourself and all of a sudden you find yourself profoundly intolerant of people who disagree with you on on some things. And in our own culture, you could say in the 80s and the 90s was really into love as total acceptance, but it's really descended into something different that follows that. It becomes in the, in the name of total acceptance of every ethical idea or decision, we become totally intolerant of every different ideology and belief. So love is on hard times these days. We find ourselves screaming at each other in the name, in the name of love. And then you have the scriptural definition, and there's more to say about love from the Bible than, than I'll put before you this morning. But right here, Peter calls Christians in these churches to love one another. And he says, love one another with a sincere brotherly love earnestly and from a pure heart. It's, it's sincere. This love is not put on. It's, it's genuine. It's, it's brotherly. It's affectionate. It's close. That's what should characterize our, our love for one another as a church. It's earnest, which, yes, in, involves work and effort. And, um, and it's not always easy and and we'll talk about what, in what way it comes naturally. But in a real sense, it doesn't come naturally. We have to labor to love one another. And, um, you know, I pray we're a church that works hard. Our, you know, our hardest work is at, is at honoring one another and loving each other and, and being affectionate toward one another as brothers and sisters. And all of this sincerely, not as sort of a Sunday mask we put on because we know how we're supposed to come off and we want other people to think that we're loving, so we're loving. We kind of know what the, co- what the code is when we're around our Christian brothers and sisters. No, this, this love that, that Peter describes is, is deeply internal. It comes from the inside. It's from a pure heart. It's from the heart and it's from, it's from a pure heart. It comes from an obedience to the truth, too. So, of course, there's some objective reality that's framing, framing this love. It's not squishy. It's, it's a serious thing, and it's from a pure heart. And, and as we read this, I think, yeah, I failed at that a couple times, a lot, this week with the people I'm closest with in my own family, <laughs> yesterday, Saturday. Went to bed in a bad mood before Easter. How about that for the preacher? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, in our own hearts, we, we, um, we know ourselves in this. This just sitting there on the page by itself is a pretty impossible command to keep, is it not? We're born breaking it. 
You know, and I can testify to this. I've had two babies that were six months apart by adoption and then one adoption at the bottom end. So they're, no, they're four months apart at the, at the top. And then for my, my youngest children, they're six months apart. And um, little babies, they love each other until, although they don't understand the imagery, one of them gets out of their lane. And uh, as early as they're able to make a, you know, the stink face or whatever they put on, I mean, they find ways to communicate. As soon as they can make noise and control their vocal cords, they're murdering their sibling with their, with their words and murdering all of us with their noises. So we're born, we're born breaking this command. This stuff isn't natural. As beautiful as humans are and as beautiful as our love is for each other on our best days with, with those God brings into our life that are the most important to us. We know ourselves. And, and the people we love the most, they know us too. Yeah, this is a command no one can, no one can keep. But there are two assumptions underneath Peter's command here that we may discern. There's the assumption that this is difficult for humans So take comfort. He's giving the command because he assumes his hearers, they need to hear this command. They need it. And you and I need this command this morning. We need to be told, love one another. Then we need to be told again, love one another earnestly, sincerely, with brotherly love from a pure heart. You consider the situation of these first readers book of 1 Peter was written in the context of persecution. That was top of Peter's mind and his concern for his readers. And his deeper concern was that in the course of the pressure that they were under, that they would love one another. You can imagine that the pressure from the outside and accusations um, would wear on a congregation. And so, so you can imagine it was difficult for his readers to keep this command to love one another. We can imagine also that it's possible. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given it. He wouldn't have given the command if they didn't need it, but he also wouldn't have given the command if it wasn't possible for them to keep it. I take encouragement from both of those assumptions there. You know, last night, excuse me, Friday night, I'd like to forget Saturday. Uh, Friday night, I'm just joking. Although, no, I'm not totally joking. So Friday night... um, Dan Kruver preached to us from 1 Peter concerning the cross and that through the blood of Jesus, God has redeemed us, ransomed us from our feudal ways inherited from our forefathers. And we're to be holy as God is holy. And so that text just before this one focused on our conduct and before God, our, our ethical life and conduct, our ways before God. Well, this passage here, now so many verses later, is focusing on the community of the people of God that the cross and the resurrection creates. We move from holiness on Friday now to how we treat one another in a sermon that will intersect with the resurrection of Christ. Well, how is it possible? It's possible for his hearers to obey this. He's praying that that they would obey and expecting that God could answer it, that they would love one another in this way. Who doesn't want a church like that? A church where we can say we love one another earnestly. Imagine being able to say this to your neighbors, and I can. 
We, at our church, we love one another earnestly. I mean, we put a lot of effort into this. We work hard at it, and it's sincere. People aren't putting it on. It's a brotherly love. We're family. It's affectionate, and I pray you can pick up on that. And it's from a pure heart because God has, He's really converted us. He has made us new, which leads me to my next point here. We move from a commandment that no one can keep to an illustration that everyone understands. Everyone understands from verse 23 to 25. Apparently, we need more than a command. We need a picture. So, Peter gets out the canvas, and he draws some pictures for us. Pictures are helpful. My brother wrote a book on friendship, and, um, and he said that his son opened the book up and said, oh, I'm so sorry, Dad. Well, what is it? Well, there aren't any pictures. <laughs> like, no one's going to buy this book. You know that, right? <laughs> Total failure, Dad. Um, well, we need pictures, word pictures at least. And Peter gets the canvas out. And he talks a whole bunch about plants. Basically, this picture has some plants on it. Uh, we all have different relationships with plants. Can I get an amen? Some of us are plant lovers. We grow them quite well, and we enjoy that, and we, we give them to people. Sometimes I, I look around in a home, and I see lots of plants, and I think that's what's different than in my home. Uh, some of us are plant lovers. Some of us are plant killers. And for plant killers, we don't grow and give them. We kill them, and then we kill them dead. And Christy and I have killed cacti. We've killed philodendron. If you know what those are, like, you can't kill them. My grandma gave me one, and she said, you can't kill it. And I killed it. And I said, Grandma, I killed it. She said, are you sure? <laughs> I'm like, I'm just completely dead. So we have different relationships with plants. But we all get how plants work. Plants start with a seed. This illustration is great. You've been born again, not of perishable seed. Plants begin with, with seeds. Seeds are necessary for plant life. I uh, stumbled across a video of that seed vault up in the Arctic recently, which is so fascinating. Up in the Arctic, there are... Is it the Arctic? Excuse me for my research earlier this week. It's actually... It's in a Norwegian region in Spitsberg, which I wanted to say out loud. So it's Norwegian, and it's in Spitsberg, this, this vault. It might as well be in the Arctic. And there are no shortage of seeds in that vault, though no seeds are going to be growing up there. There are some, some 500 samples of seeds in this seed vault from all over the world. So that's 500 samples, and there are, no, no, excuse me, there are 500 seeds per sample. There are 4.5 million samples in this vault. So 500 seeds per sample, they're small. Uh, 4.5 million samples, and I punched that into my, my calculator on my phone, because I know we've only got so many uh, spaces, you call it. And uh, it came up with 2.25 E9. Raise your hand if you know what 2.25 E9 means. Okay, there, there he is, Greg down front. Come to the candy bar after the service. So I just laughed and thought, I'm going to read that to him. So you'll know it's big when they, start using, when they start using letters. So seeds are necessary, 
absolutely necessary to life. Seeds decide the kind of life. And there's a reason why they've got different kinds of seeds up there. Because if there was some type of nuclear holocaust and anyone could get up there, well, they'd be able to plant all kinds of different plants. And yes, there'd be a correspondence between where the seed came from and the kind of thing that the seed grows. The properties of the seed would correspond to the crop properties of the, of the thing, the plant. Seeds also direct the growth of the plant. It will get so big, it will act a certain way in certain conditions. It will have a certain kind of leaf and it will, will work a certain way. I was in a national forest a park a few weeks ago with my son and some other kids and learned about trees. And there is one kind of tree uh, that can take 50 gallons from the ground up its trunk every day. That is a tremendous amount of water. <laughs> 50 gallons. Now, it all starts with a seed, doesn't it? And the seed directs what kind of tree will grow and how the tree will operate and quite an operation a tree is and, and, and how will a tree will spread its roots and gather its, gather its water and then all the other stuff that's scientific that goes on to make a leaf and do something with sun rays and all of that. Now, plants start with seeds. We know how they work. Plants also have a life cycle and you can see that reflected in the illustration here. And just by the language of perishable seed, it means it doesn't last forever. All flesh is like grass, and its glory is like the flower of grass. If you don't cut it, eventually it has a little thing at the end with seeds. And the grass withers, and the flower falls. So you've got grass or any kind of plant that will, will come into full flower, will come into full maturity, and then eventually that plant will will fall, will wither, and will die. Trees eventually die. In this national park we were at in, near Columbia, there were a number of what they call champion trees, which I thought was kind of a funny name for a tree. You are the champion. Like you put a belt on it or, a, or some kind of a metal. Champion tree. Uh, and that's because it's the oldest one of its kind that we know of. Yeah, and we've cut plenty of trees down, build houses and stuff, but we've got these trees which are the oldest of a kind. Well, eventually those champion trees will, will die. And every plant will, will start with a seed, it will grow to maturity, and it will die. They have a life cycle. Well, humans, you and I, we're a whole lot like plants, We've meditated on plants a bit because it seems like that's what we're supposed to do here. You've mentioned grass 15 times, four times, I think. I don't want to lie to you. So humans are like plants. Start with a seed and we have our own life cycle and we grow to maturity and then we fade and we wither and then we fall. Eventually, all of us fall. We can say we're strong and we'll be right to some extent. We can say that we're strong in the face of great trouble and trial and we've survived all kinds of things and we might be right. And we can get along together 
through hardship and, and we'll be right. And we can say, you're a strong person. We can say, I'm a strong person. But eventually, our strength fails. Eventually, we wither and eventually we fall. And some of us find ourselves right now in full strength. We feel great, young or old. And some of us feel like we're withering. And some of us in the room feel like we're about to fall. You know, you don't get that You don't get that diversity in a room in your workplace necessarily. Usually when we start to wither, we we retire. People fall by surprise, but, but the natural life cycle of a human involves growing in maturity and strength and flowering seasons and then withering seasons and then a and then a falling event. And it's always sad when that happens. But in that way, we're a whole lot like plants. Another way we're like plants is that we're forgotten. No, not by God, but, but eventually we're forgotten. Psalm 103, I want to read to you. It's a beautiful and terrifying psalm. As for man, his days are like grass, and that applies to you women too. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. We wither, we fall, and then we're gone, and then we're forgotten. I mean, think about it. If we're many generations and another thousand or two years before Jesus comes back, oh, we will be way forgotten. I mean, even if you wrote a book or did something really famous, forgotten. Your kids will remember you and have memories, and they'll remember some of the things you told them about your childhood, but they're not going to pass that stuff along to their kids, certainly not their grandkids, and their grandkids might remember your name. Then a generation later, this applies to everyone in this room, a generation later, someone might get interested in ancestry, and if the internet's still around and things are still hopping, then we'll be able to, they'll be able to get online and they'll be able to read your name, and then you won't be totally forgotten. But otherwise, your name's on a stone somewhere if you put it on a stone, and that's all you've got. So we're born of seed, we mature, we flower, we wither, we fall, and we are forgotten in this world. But friends, if you and I are in Christ, there is a way in which we are not like grass, and that's good news, a way in which we are not like plants. I mean, the contrast is right here in verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, not of perishable seed, like all the plants we were just talking about, like the champion trees, but of imperishable seed, a seed that never dies. Isaiah 40 is where this quote comes from. All flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. This was written for, for a generation, hundreds of years before, that was suffering in exile, not terribly unlike the, the readers of the first, uh, this first letter of Peter, 
He even calls them exiles. And they needed comfort. And it was comforting for them to hear the words, all flesh is like grass and and all its glory like the flower of grass. Yeah, that's our experience. And the grass withers and the flower falls. Yep, I know all about that. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And that's good news. That's comforting to them and to these first readers. And it's comforting especially to us, which I'll show you. You see, we need more than a commandment to love one another. We're going to have an awfully hard time as a church getting along and loving each other if we're working off the same resources that the rest of the world has to work with. We need more than a command. We need, we need conversion. And friends, you and I can love, this is the point of this little section here, you and I can love each other because we have life in God's Word. See, you've been born again. Life. All those plants on the canvas that Peter has painted, that's an image of life. But the plants that he's painting, the church that he might paint, never fades and never falls and never withers and never dies. We've been born again. And so we can love one another out of the life that we've been given. Verse 23, we've been born again through the living and abiding Word of God. The grass withers and the flower falls. Verse 25, but the Word of the Lord remains, it remains forever. So if you've been born again by the living Word, you'll have trouble loving your brothers and sisters in this church until we all meet Jesus and see Him face to face. But if you're having a lot of trouble and you find that the same envy you had as a kid is the same envy you had as an adult and it's the same envy you have in your experience of life in our church. And the anger you had here is the same that you experienced here is the same as you experienced in the room. And there's really a lot of continuity. And you're good at putting on the insincere love of your your face and your comments on a Sunday. And, but you're really not working earnestly at loving your brothers and sisters because there's no brotherly affection. There's no sisterly affection there. That's resonating with you. If that's resonating with you, then you may not be born again according to the living and abiding Word of God. And so you need to be born again this morning. That's what you need. That's what's missing. It's not another book study. It's not another piece of good advice. It's not another counseling session. It's conversion. So be born again. We'll circle back around to that in a few moments. Well, how does any of us get in on this? Verse 23, it is by means of the Word, the living and abiding Word of God. In verse 25, again, here we see, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And to get a little more specific as we drill down and drill down, verse 25, and this word, and what is this word? Because Isaiah, when he was preaching to that exile generation, gave them that great comfort of the word of the Lord that remains forever, unlike the plants around them or their own, their own flesh. But this word, what is it? This word is the good news that was preached to you. And so we can see that the love of the church is rooted in the life that comes from the living Word. 
And now I want to put to you as we go a step deeper in this matter, that that living word is the good news that was preached to you concerning our living Lord Jesus Christ. And so now we come to our third division this morning, a change that only the resurrected Christ can bring, a change that only the resurrected Christ can bring. And now we're bumping up to verses 20 and 21 together. You see here a chain of events, which I'd mentioned. He, Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Jesus, Christ, has existed from all eternity as God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we've sung before I came up to preach, may God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit make us one. In holiness, let us unite that we may know the risen Christ. Well, the Father has foreknown the Son from before the foundation of the world, and we've sung that we would know the Son this morning. He was made manifest in these last times. He was revealed. He was revealed through His incarnation. What is God like? Look at the Son, Jesus Christ, who walked the earth and what He said and what He did and how He conducted Him self. And look especially at our Lord on the cross, and you will see what God is like. He was made manifest in these last times for your sake, through whom you're believers in God, who raised Him from the dead. There's the next link in the chain. He was raised from the dead, and God gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We have this chain of events, and this chain of events leads to a total change of life for those who believe. Look at this. So that, verse 21, your faith and your hope are in God. Those aren't throwaway words. Faith, hope, love, truth, like sprinkles on top of the Bible. They just, you know, you sprinkle these spiritual words in there. No, these are serious, deep, meaningful, meaningful words. It's because of this chain of events, this gospel good news of the, of the pre-existing son who was made manifest and then was crucified as we heard Friday and was raised and then now is alive and well and seated at the Father's right hand in glory. It's because of that work that our faith can be transferred from ourselves as weak and as frail and withering and as falling as we are. What a terrible place to put our faith (laughs) in man. To God himself, who is eternal and eternally good and trustworthy. Now we believe his word and our faith is in him. And our hope is in him. Our hope is in God. And this is with reference to our our future. We aren't facing the future with fear because of death, but but of hope. And look with me in verse chapter one, verse three, where Peter begins on this note Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not a dead hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
and he keeps going, and he keeps going. And here he's speaking about our hope again. And it's because Jesus was manifest and was raised to new life and still lives that you and I can transfer our faith from ourselves to him and we can set our hope in him. And we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's why our point of focus as we examine this matter of love and of love that is born of spiritual life, here's why our focus is on the resurrection. Because that's the particular thing that through our union with Jesus Christ, we come into. Jesus was raised from the dead. And so as we're united to him by faith, you and I are raised to new life. We are born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead makes it possible for you and I to be born again. And this new life that we receive when we're born again makes it possible for you and I to love each other as he describes here. Now, we might be able to put a face on. We might be able to force it and fake it. But this kind of sincere, brotherly, affectionate, earnest, hard-working love from a pure heart, wow. Yeah, no, that is possible. It really is possible for you and for us together because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And because through the resurrection, you and I get new life. And you and I have new life only because he lives. Resurrection life changes all of life. Yes, friends, I think the greatest and most compelling evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is a church that really, really, really believes it. If you want to work on loving each other better as a church, if we want to work on that, the thing to do is not to talk about it all the time. I always start to twitch when I do sense we have a problem as a church, but then everyone wants to talk about the problem. Like everyone just go away, stop talking about the problem and start praying ahead of Sunday and start reading the passage and then hear everything we're saying in the preached word and then take your order of service home and pray and meditate on these words about the resurrection and the incarnation and all of this. I mean, is that not what Peter's doing? Peter preaches the gospel to them and then he says, love each other. You can do it because you've been born again and you're not going to die and you're not going to flower and fade and wither and fall like the grass, but the word of the Lord is forever. I firmly believe the way to a more and more and more loving church is to is to hear these commands to love one another, but then to linger on and obsess about and pay attention to and to talk all the time about, fill our prayers and our conversations with, the word of the Lord remains forever. And Jesus is raised from the dead and the Father gave him glory. And just set your clock, and it may even take some years. But we're talking about plants, right? This isn't the only place the Bible uses plant imagery. We really do grow as a church like a plant. 
And if you water it with all this stuff, and if we give ourselves to these things, these doctrines, these truths, the preexistence of the Son, the resurrection, the eternal word, the good news, yes, God will grow up the most beautiful flowers in our church, and those won't die. They'll last forever. And anyone who comes in contact with it will know something has happened here. And we pray they will know know that something has happened outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. We should give ourselves, church, to equipping ourselves for evangelism. Um, But this applies here as well. We want to share the gospel with our neighbors, and we want to invite them to our church And we want our church to be the most beautiful commendation of the things that we have said. Please, 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 please come and I'll prove it to you. Please come to my church. Just come. Just come and hang out. Come for four weeks and watch what happens. And you're praying that we'll do what we do and we get each other's names and we get each other's stories and they're going to get invited over. And they're going to say, I've never seen anything like it in my life. They love one another earnestly, sincere and brotherly love. I don't know what else to call it. And and it seems to be from a pure heart. And you know what I heard the other Sunday is it's because they're born again and, and not like a seed that makes grass that dies, but by something else altogether, the good news of Jesus who is incarnate and who is raised and who's in glory. And I believe it. I really believe it. Now, the greatest evidence for the resurrection is this room. And if you're overhearing this and listening in, having visited, but maybe being outside these truths, well, we pray you'd say all that. And we pray that'd be your experience here. And to the extent that it's not, don't blame that on Christ. We just need to give ourselves more to him. (laughs) Pray for us and join us in this. Well, I've talked a bit about what the resurrection does. Now, what do we do with the resurrection? A couple take-homes. That, of course, depends on what kind of life you have. If your life right now is a life that is born of perishable seed, and and if your life is one that will come into maturity, and you may feel good and strong now, but will will wither and will, will fall one day, then your first order of business is to, verse 22, purify your soul by your obedience to the truth. Purify your soul by your obedience to the truth, which is the long way of saying, believe in the gospel that was preached to you. See verse 21, Jesus was manifest for your sake, who through him are believers in God. Not a vague God, not token belief. Real belief that stakes everything on this truth that Jesus is the Son of God incarnate, raised, and seated at the Father's right hand. Stakes everything on that. Leaves nothing behind. And is willing with that confidence to face death and say, I believe it. Take me. This is what we invite you into this morning. It's such good news. It's good news of an imperishable word, a living and abiding word 
that can give you living and abiding spiritual life and a living and abiding knowledge of God. Not just a church community, as good as that is, and not just meaning and life vaguely, but a living relationship with the living God who wrote this living word for you to hear and to believe this morning. So if your life is that kind that's been born of imperishable seed, which you fully expect to wither and to fall, then set your faith and your hope in God this morning and believe everything on this page. And join the family. And come and let me know you're thinking about this or that you've done it. And I'll rejoice with you and pray with you. We'll talk about next steps. Now, if you've been born of perishable seed, if you know yourself to be a Christian, if you're in fellowship with his people and can call yourself a brother or a sister, here's some things for you to do. Get a plant. And when it stays alive for a long time, you can think, that's what that imperishable seed is like. And when you kill it, you can say, that's not what the imperishable seed is like. Think about plants. If you don't get one for inside your house, I'm sure you'll be able to see some within a step outside your house and how, God is, how kind is God to surround us with plants. And when you ponder plants, think about seeds and think about the life cycle of a plant and consider that you and I, friend, don't have a life cycle. We have a life span. And it's forever. Just like the word of the Lord is forever that has given us new life. So think about plants. That's your application for Easter morning, 2021, plants. And then love each other. Give yourself to each other. Honor each other. Do this with great effort. And do it from a pure heart. And do it sincerely. And love each other with affection as brothers and sisters in Christ. And let's see what God, what God does here among us. Yes, to grow as a loving church. And as a church with a, a vibrant, vital witness to Jesus in our community. Job number one is to think about plants and then to love each other more from the knowledge that we belong to the eternal God and that we know the eternal Son of God who is Christ. Yes, today is about trees, even as Friday was about a tree on which the Son of God was crucified. Today is about an empty tomb and it's about, it's about this illustration that Peter wanted to wear into our minds and into our souls and into our imagination. So don't, don't forget it. He pulled this up from an ancient prophecy buried in the prophet Isaiah. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but friends, the word of the Lord remains forever. I want to close with a quote from John Stott a famous theologian and pastor who loved his, his Bible and believes all these things. He said, Perhaps the transformation of the disciples of Jesus is the greatest evidence of all for the resurrection. At the time of his death, they were very much afraid. Peter went 
to the extent of vehemently denying that he knew Christ. That in a few days, this same Peter fearlessly proclaimed the gospel in the same city. Listen to his audacity. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. And you handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. There had to have been a sufficient reason for such transformation. There was boldness on the lips and in the hearts of these disciples. In a few weeks, we'll return to the gospel according to Mark. If you've been visiting with us even this morning, we usually just work through books of the Bible, and we're in the gospel according to Mark now, and we'll be returning to the gospel of Mark, and we'll be making our way through the suffering of Jesus. It might feel like we're rewinding the clock. Um, We're just working through that book and where we've come to the suffering and sacrifice of Jesus. But yeah, at that moment, Peter was denying Jesus, but he turned around to preach boldly to those who had killed him. How is that possible? Well, he believed the resurrection of the dead and his hope was in God and Jesus really was raised. But as we've seen this morning, there's another way in which the resurrection and the truth of the gospel transforms the disciples of Jesus and the church. And it's not just boldness, which is needed in our day, courage, which is needed in our day. It's also love, which is always, always needed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this cluster of ideas and and images in this really old letter. And we thank you for this very simple command to love one another, how we need to do that, how we long to be a part of a community that that exemplifies this, how we long to be loved by each other. And I pray that you would, through the power of the resurrection that has worked in us, that rose Jesus from the dead, that you would make us a people that love each other well. And that the world might know that you have sent your son because there is something special here. There is new life here of a kind that can't be found anywhere else. And you have made with that new life a new people. And Father, I do pray for anyone who has joined us this morning. Maybe they've been here for a very long time. Maybe this is a, a first visit to church in a very long time, maybe ever, that you would convert them and make them yours and Cause them to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.